In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Who in here has seen Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back? Thank you, Dad, for raising that hand so fast. That was great. No, literally no one else has seen that movie. I've got to think of a different illustration then, so we'll have to wait a minute while I think of that. Unless more people have seen it. Really? Okay, thank you. All the nerds in the room, hands go up. Thank you. Unite, yes. All of us together. Nerds in Christ. Okay. So at the end of Empire Strikes Back, you know, you might know this as the movie where Luke Skywalker discovers in this duel with Darth Vader. He says, you killed my father. And Darth Vader says, right? And he says, Luke, I am your father. And Luke says, no! And he gets his hand cut off and he falls, 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 falls down this, I mean, he falls like forever. And then he falls right out of this chute that's going to drop him. They're on this planet where there's like no land, this, their city in the clouds. And he's about to fall out of like a garbage chute down to his death. And he falls through this hole and he catches himself on this antenna and he's hanging there upside down by his legs. And I'm pretty sure, you know, he uses his powers with the force to reach out and, you know, talk to people to come and get rescued. So the Millennium Falcon comes up and a little hatch opens at the top and he whoop, drops right in and they, they fly off, right? Talk about a rescue in the nick of time. How long could you hang upside down on a bar like that? After, well, dueling Darth Vader. I don't know how long I could stand there. Garrett, what about you? Uh, Probably not long. Yeah. So, Romans 5, 6 says, When we were utterly helpless, Luke Skywalker hanging upside down, about to die. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Friends, God moves first in our salvation. God moves first. And in fact, God does all of the moving. You don't cooperate in God saving you at all. Did little June cooperate in this baptism? I mean, yes, right? In the sense of like, she stayed calm. There wasn't a, ah, you know, which would have been cute, right? Because babies are always cute, no matter what they're doing. But... God did all of that. God moves first. God creates faith in her heart that she's going to grow up someday and own as her own, standing before you here in this very room, confirming her faith. Our salvation came to us when we were utterly helpless. Christ came to us at just the right time. And Paul goes on in Romans 5 verse 7. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. Think of those who are willing to die for others. I have in mind uh, people in the military, law enforcement, fire and rescue. They are willing to die for people who love them, or at least ideally for people who respect them. Who is willing to die for the benefit of people who hate them? Who is willing to die for people who don't respect them? Who would gladly give up their life to benefit someone who would then spit on your grave? In this way, God's love is illustrated. Romans 5, 8. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. 
And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation, right? Our sins are taken care of by God's death, by Christ's death. You can say that God died on the cross. What comes along with this is, as kind of a package deal, is that God's condemnation now no longer lingers over us. I sometimes hear people say around town, usually when they see me, oh, hey, pastor. Oh, man, it's been a rough week. I got to get to church. I got to get forgiven. I got to, you know, are we having communion this Sunday? You know, I've, I've really been running up a balance. As if the condemnation of God still hung over them. And if they died at that moment, they'd go to hell. I hope I make it till Sunday. Friends, it's paid for. We don't believe in this like state of grace or mortal sin or, you know, like where you, if you don't come to confession or if you don't get to communion or if you don't come to church and say the words of confession and absolution and really mean it, gosh darn it, then, oh, watch out. What did Jesus die for if we had to still stay in all of those boundaries? He paid for our sins and he paid the price so that God's condemnation no longer hangs over you week to week. Although I do love to see you here every Sunday. Right? So don't hear what I'm not saying. You do need to be here because it's good for you. Gathering around God's word is stuff the church has always done. But you don't need to be here because Jesus needs your help to save you. No, he did that all by himself. In other words, there's no way to be justified by Christ's death and then still somehow be condemned by God. That's what Paul is saying here in Romans 5, 9. And he goes on in verse 10. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies. I'm going to read that part again. Since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we still hated him. While we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. He's doing this kind of arguing from the lesser to the greater thing. If Christ's death for us while we hated him did something for us, what do you think Christ's resurrection, now that we love him, is going to mean for us? Eternity in the new heavens and the new earth with joy unspeakable. Verse 11, so now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. In considering our new relationship with God, it might be helpful to once again review our old relationship with God. Our old relationship is this, right? Our sin is still on us. Our sin against God was unforgiven, and we stood helpless under the wrath of God. Our new relationship is that our sin has been forgiven and we are completely reconciled with God. Everything between you and God is made right by Christ. And there is nothing you can do. There is no sin so heinous. There's no pattern of sin so grievous that you can mess it up now in the future. All of your future sin is priced in to the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ for you. That's why it's a wonderful new relationship with God. Paul doesn't use that word for no reason. He's not writing an essay for eighth grade and trying to fluff up his word count. 
He says it's wonderful because it is wonderful. Every time you sin and ask for forgiveness, it's granted. Your shortcomings and your fears and your shame are met with grace upon grace upon grace. There's freedom. There's lightness. You can never outsin God's love for you in Jesus Christ. And I know you just sang this, but you need to hear it again. From that baptismal hymn, sin disturbed my soul no longer. Why? I am baptized into Christ. I have comfort even stronger, Jesus' cleansing sacrifice. Should a guilty conscience seize me, since my baptism did release me in a dear, forgiving flood, sprinkling me with Jesus' blood. So we've got sin, right? And in a Lutheran church, we kind of talk about this triad, right? Not the Holy Trinity, but we have these three enemies of our soul. Sin, yes, death, and the devil, okay? So we're dealing with these a little bit out of order. Right? This next stanza is about Satan. Satan, hear this proclamation. I am baptized into Christ. Drop your ugly accusation. I am not so soon enticed. Now that to the font I've traveled, all your might has come unraveled. Put that on a headstone. Now that to the font I've traveled, all your might has come unraveled. And against your tyranny, God, my Lord, unites with me. God is united with you against Satan's tyranny because of what Jesus has done for you. And finally, death. Death, you cannot end my gladness. Why? I am baptized into Christ. When I die, I leave all sadness to inherit paradise. Though I lie in dust and ashes, faith's assurance brightly flashes. Gosh, you almost can't even read this without choking up. Baptism has the strength divine to make life immortal mine. What a hymn. Sing that at my funeral, okay? Let's get through Romans 5 here. In case you were not here last week, we're, uh, we're making mighty progress in our 15-week sermon series through Romans. So uh, I'll look forward to seeing all of you here next week. This is going to be great. I'm kidding. Okay. Romans 5, 12 through 14. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone's sin. That, that Greek word that's translated death spread to everyone, it's like... Um, It's like if a flood rose here and uh, the floodwaters were so high that they were above the basement windows of the church and one of those windows broke. Is that water just going to like trickle in bit by bit or is that just going to flood in high pressure? Like, like you couldn't even put a piece of plywood up to stop that, right? That's sin entered the world like that through Adam's sin. But it was not counted as sin Well, wait a minute. People sinned even before the law was given, but it was not then counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment, right? Before the law was given, before the Ten Commandments were given, people were still sinning. They just didn't have those laws written down somewhere, so they didn't know they were breaking God's law in that way. And Paul says this, Adam is a symbol, 
a representation of Christ who is yet to come. And he means symbol in the sense that like um, a stamp or a punch hammered into wood might leave a mark. Something about Adam and our relationship to him teaches us, points us to Christ in this way. Right? We've inherited sin from Adam. That is the human condition. Sin, death, all the sorrow that follows in their wake. We inherit from our parents who inherited it from their parents. This is just what it means to be a human in this creation now. In the overlap of the ages where Jesus has dealt with our sin and paid the price for us. I'm up here. You can look at me. Yeah, babies cry. It's okay. In the overlap of the ages, Jesus has dealt with sin, but the new creation is yet to come. And we're here in this weird part of the Venn diagram where Jesus has saved us, but there's still cancer. There's still Alzheimer's. There's still Parkinson's. There's still all this stuff that we have to deal with. Broken relationships, job loss, loss of our home, senseless violence, sin within our own hearts. We inherited that all from Adam. But this same dynamic, us inheriting this thing through, through one man's sin, Paul says, through the one man's sin, death came to many. In this same way, through the one man's obedience, righteousness came to many. There's a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. Paul says, for the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace. It's not like Jesus' grace to us, like, you know, Adam's, the, the high watermark for Adam's sin is here. And Jesus came and, oh, his forgiveness is just, oh, man, it's a photo finish. It's a perfect tie. Jesus gave us just enough what we needed. It's a good thing Adam didn't sin anymore. No, the grace of God given to us in Jesus far surpasses the sin that we've inherited from Adam. We don't, get, we don't go from the, the sorrow and the pain of this life to like just being okay by Jesus. The promise is that there's going to be joy, bliss, glory unimaginable in the life of the world to come. That's why in the Nicene Creed, which we say when we have communion on Sunday, it ends like this. I believe in the resurrection, of, or I look for the resurrection of the dead, and I look for what? The life of the world to come. Because there's got to be something more than this. Let's be real. Sometimes things are going pretty great for us here. But a lot of the time, most of the time, even all the time, we still need something more than what our money can buy, than what good health can, you know, the peace of mind that comes from good health, the satisfaction that comes from meaningful work and good relationships. We need more. We were made for more. Through Jesus, God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness is brought to many. It was given to you before you asked for it. It was given to you before you could choose it. It was offered to you with nothing asked of you in return, as if you had something to give him anyway. Which you don't. I don't. None of us do. Sometimes, Christians, we speak of um, giving your heart to Jesus. 
or um, you know, in certain denominations, there's this tradition of you know, at the end of the service, we're going to have an altar call. Everyone, come down here and commit your life to Christ. Make a decision for Jesus. And zeal for God is a good thing. But salvation doesn't come after we make a decision for Christ. We saw salvation happen this morning in little June's heart. God chose her from before the foundation of the world to be baptized here this morning. There was this Swedish Lutheran pastor, sorry, I, I looked, I mean, it would be great if I had a quote from a German Lutheran pastor, but it's a Swedish one this time. And I apologize for that to all you ethnic Germans out there. I did go to Gustavus after all, so, you know, we can, we can have a struggle session about that after the service if you'd like. But this guy's name was Bo Geertz, and he was a Swedish Lutheran pastor and bishop from the 20th century, and he wrote this book, The Hammer of God. And there's this little scene I'm going to read for you as we close, because I think he illustrates this so well. It's the difference between choosing Jesus and Jesus choosing us. And this is a conversation between a young, zealous pastor um, who's kind of a greenhorn and thinks he knows a lot more than he actually does, and this older fellow who the young guy kind of looks down his nose at, and he's like, oh, I, I need to pray for this old pastor's conversion. I don't know if he's truly regenerate. I don't know if, he's, if he personally knows the Lord, right? Okay, here we go. The young guy says, but sir, if you do not give your heart to Jesus, you cannot be saved. And the old pastor says, you are right, my boy. And it is just as true that if you think you are saved because you give Jesus your heart, you will not be saved. You see, my boy, he continued reassuringly as he continued to look at the young pastor's face in which uncertainty and resentment were shown in a struggle for the upper hand. It is one thing to choose Jesus as one's Lord and Savior, to give him one's heart and to commit oneself to him, and that he now accepts one into his little flock. It is a very different thing to believe on him as a redeemer of sinners, of whom one is chief. One does not choose a redeemer for oneself, you understand, nor give one's heart to him. The heart is a rusty old can on a junk heap, a fine birthday gift indeed. But a wonderful Lord passes by and has mercy on the wretched tin can, sticks his walking cane through it, and rescues it from the junk pile and takes it home with him. That's how it is. When we were utterly helpless, our decrepit hearts rusting away on a junk heap. A wonderful Lord passed by, had mercy on us, and rescued us to take us home with him. God's love for you is shown for you in this, that when God had every reason to condemn you forever, because we weren't sitting on top of that junk heap crying, help, help. Remember, we were enemies of God. We hated God. We wanted our own way. And something in us still does. God had every reason to condemn us forever, but instead the Father sent his son Jesus to die in order to redeem you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.